share with you my weekend. Um, not that you care, but I'm going to share with you anyway. Um, as a dad, I love being a father. It's one of the greatest things in the world, in my opinion. Um, so great that I've decided I just want to be a father over and over and over again. I don't know when that's going to stop, but it's good. And the Lord's blessing us. Uh, my oldest son, which is very special to me, obviously your firstborn, but with us fostering kids, man, Eli and Josiah do so much. They're such great kids, and they're very patient. And, uh, you know, the oldest, uh, the firstborn, you know, he takes a lot of responsibility, and, and he's good with the kids at times, but sometimes you just need to get away. And his birthday was Friday. He turned 11, and um, he, he, he's turned into this massive basketball junkie. And uh, so um, back in December, we took the whole family to the Memphis Grizzlies game and had a great time and just kind of fell in love with the Grizzlies. And it's really the closest professional team that we've got. And we're obviously Razorback fans, but we've just really just had a great time. And so he said, Dad, let's, let's go to an NBA playoff game. And I don't know if you know anything about the NBA, but the NBA is expensive. There's a reason them boys make millions of dollars because we're paying them. Um, in December, we set up the nosebleeds, and it was a great game, and, and uh, he said, I said, okay, son, I said, we can, t I'll take you and two friends, and we'll sit up the nosebleeds, or I said, me and you can go, and I was hoping he'd choose that one, and we can sit really close, and uh, he chose that one, and I was very excited, because uh, I'm a big sports fan, so, um, so Friday night, let me go back to Friday night, so we got to go Saturday, but Friday night, it started with a sleepover, um, we had eight children in our home. Uh, Friday night, ranging from ages 11 to 1, and, uh, you know, it was a typical 11-year-old sleepover. It smelled like wet feet and electronics all over the floor, and, um, and we stayed up. We played home run derby and had a blast, and as a dad, it was just one of those moments where you provided for your son what he wanted, and, and we played football and basketball, and they stayed up, and I went to bed about 12.30, and I woke up because I heard something at 5 a.m., and there was three of them that were awake. One was playing on the iPad basketball game. There was Mountain Dew strung all over the floor, M&Ms, Kit Kats open, and they were watching the Bash Channel. And uh, so it was just, it, you know, it's my life, you know. And so we get up. I cook a big breakfast as I watch my pastor do so many years for his boys and, and, and their friends. And, and there was times that I would be over there. And so I got to re, kind of relive that and be that person. And it was special. And, and they just destroyed. I didn't buy enough. I mean, I know what you say when you spend a lot of money on them people because I just didn't buy enough. There wasn't enough food. So we ate, and they left. So me and Eli got in the van, and we took off to Memphis about 12 o'clock. And, uh, and I prayed. I told Pastor, you know, I don't try to make things like this too spiritual, but I prayed. I said, God, give us one of those days, those Father-Son days that we'll never forget. Yes. So we get to Memphis, and um, we got to eat. And so uh, we go to the Blue City uh, Cafe on Bill Street. And uh, if you, as some of you know what Memphis is all about. And we walk in, and, man, it is throw down. There's collard greens being slung all over the place, <laughs> beans, barbecue. So we order a full rack of ribs and some gumbo french fries and uh, just absolutely just over the top. Pastor, I woke up this morning, and I literally put on black slacks because... I'm continuing to be more and more like you, and I put them on, and they just didn't fit. So the, I'm sorry. I tried. The gumbo fries are just still working on me. I hadn't ate since 2 o'clock yesterday, but we had a great meal, and then we go, and we, as soon as we enter the arena, um, it's a playoff game. This is game four of the Spurs and the Grizzlies, and so it's a lot of excitement. We enter, the, we enter the arena, go to our seats, and the seats are unbelievable. We sit in the sixth row behind the basket, and... and um, 
and there was about a 70-year-old lady, and I don't know if she's a security guard. I hope she wasn't. I mean, no offense to 70-year-old ladies, but she was uh, a worker there, and she said, come here, son. And uh, Eli went down there, and she said, how would you like to go to the tunnel and just stand there while the players run out? And I don't know if you know anything. Once again, the NBA is very, they're very strict on that. So Eli's like one of 10 kids that gets to go down, and he's high-fiving the players, and, and Vince Carter, and everybody's running out. And I'm just like, man, this is unbelievable. And then Mark Gasol, who's an all-star, walks up to Eli. He's 7'2". And uh, he takes Eli's hat and he signs it and shakes his hand. And Eli looks at me and I'm like, you know, I'm just freaking out as, <laughs> freaking out as much as he. I'm just having a blast. We could have stopped right there and went home. It would have been the best. And at dinner, at lunch, Eli said, Dad, I, he said, I bet you that there's going to be a buzzer beater. and The Grizzlies are going to win. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. But, you know, Spurs are probably going to kill him. And so the game gets going, and I start getting texts from all my friends and pastor and my in-laws, and they're like, I saw you on TV, and they, they sent us a text message, and then, and then I got this text message, and if you know, or this picture, if you know anything about the game last night, it went into overtime, and I'm sitting there thinking, dear God, I got to preach in the morning. And I don't know what you were doing at 10 o'clock last night. How many of you were asleep? <laughs> I was on ESPN. Okay. Check this out. This is ESPN. This is a picture on TV that my father-in-law was watching, or Shane, somebody, did you text me this? This is my father-in-law. It's on ESPN. This is the buzzer beater in overtime. Mark Gasol just shot it 1.2 seconds, and look who's eating the towel next to the shot clock with that dome head. That would be your youth pastor. Yeah. And Eli's right there next to me. Isn't that awesome? Check that off the list. I've always wanted to make uh, ESPN and whatever it takes. So, yeah, check. Isn't that unbelievable? Isn't that so cool? Now, some of you could care less, but for you sports junkies, that is just like, man, take me to heaven. I mean, but, yeah, he made the bucket, and then it was over, and a lady about tackled me. You can't see her because she's behind the shot clock, but she was like 80, and she was grabbing my leg the whole game, and... She said, she told me before it started, she said, now listen, I might grab your legs and don't think anything of it. And I was like, okay. And she did. Like every time, how many of you watched the game? Did anybody watch that game last night? It was back and forth. She grabbed his leg and I was like, wow. The first picture that they sent me was a picture of me and the lady talking. So I had to text Ann and tell her, listen, it, you know, it's all good. It's all good. So we left and, and of course we were just, Man, just in, in, just in la-la land. And we got home last night. I got in bed at 1.39 last night. And I woke up this morning at 6.20 to a four-month-old goo-goo baby in my bed. And it's like, man, this weekend could get any better. And uh, now I'm at church. So the Riggs family is burning the candle at both ends. And, um, but it's go big or go home. You know, it's go big or go home. So I'm so excited to be in the house of the Lord. And... I'll be honest, as great as that was, and it was great, it will, I'm, I'm messed up now for the rest of Eli's life as far as birthdays. I just, I might as well not even try anything because that just topped it. But I want to take you back to Friday morning because I, I got the tickets on Thursday and, and, and I kind of had our weekend laid out. And Pastor, I knew he hadn't been feeling well, and he texted me Friday morning. He said, Joe, he said, I'm still down. He said, you're going to have to get... In, the, in your closet with the Lord, and you're going to have to preach on Sunday. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a great weekend. And, um, and I went in my office and I, I, on Friday morning, and I shut the door. I mean, you no know, pastor said a while ago, when you shut the door and you pray in secret, the Lord rewards you openly. 
And I'll be really honest, I got a word this morning that is from the Lord. I, a lot of times you might hear that and it might seem cliche, but immediately when I walked in my office, I began to go to my dry erase board. And you can go in there right now, actually, and I still have it up there. And I spent about three hours. I haven't preached Lazarus in a long time. Probably the last time I preached it was years to the youth, several years ago. And, but I, I immediately went to John chapter 11, and that's where I want you to go to. And I just began to write on the board. And without making it just over, you know, just over the top, I, I literally, it just began to pour out on the board. And pastor said something last week that was so awesome, man. It just truly just hit me, and it made so much sense. And he's kind of said it before, and it makes me appreciate my pastor so much more because he's real. He is who he says he is. Um, but he talked about styles of preachers and styles of preaching and how um, in the day that we live in with the mega churches and the media there is a lot of pr pressure on preachers. Um, even me as an associate pastor who gets to preach every once in a while to you guys and as a, um, a youth pastor who, who has to deal with the entertainment side of what the, the teenagers, I can't compete with the, what the teenagers have. I just can't. And really, I'm just kind of a mini-me of pastor to the teenagers because we just get into the word. And uh, so I'm going to preach my style this morning, and that's from an old-fashioned dry erase board. I don't know how much I'll write on there, but we're going to get into the Word. And I did have a slide, which a lot of times I don't, but this slide just really connects to what I'm going to talk about um, today. So if everybody would stand up in honor of the reading of the Word, we're actually not going to read right this second from John 11, so I want you to keep your finger there, but I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians, the first chapter. Several years ago, I can't even tell you how long ago it was, I came into this sanctuary and I was frustrated. And I was frustrated. I wasn't really understanding the scriptures. And I was trying to do my best as a youth pastor, and I was just kind of frustrated. I was becoming uh, spiritually sick. And when I say spiritually sick, I mean... Um, Studying was becoming difficult. Uh, my prayer life was becoming kind of stale. And Pastor Brown was sitting about, I think, where John is sitting. And he told me to sit next to him. And he took me to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to pray this over you as kind of our introduction instead of reading from the text we're going to be in. I want to pray this over you. It's Paul. And he, he's praying a special prayer. And I want to pray this over you. Look at verse 17. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also, listen to this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you for your word today. God, I pray and I speak blessing over my church family. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just fill this place with your presence, God. Give us a clear revelation of your word 
Father God, today. Lord, it's all you. Father, I remove myself from the equation. God, let preaching be easy and let it all be about you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen, amen and amen. You may be seated. John chapter 11. We just wrapped up Easter last week, and I think one of the guys mentioned a while ago, and man, Easter should be every day. Amen? It really should be every day. We should celebrate that he blew that grave wide open and that we have life, eternal life in Christ Jesus and that death was defeated 2,000 years ago and that we don't have to die anymore. We don't have to be sick anymore. Amen? Because there's a heavenly dwelling that he has created for us, an eternal dwelling, and I'm thankful for that. Amen? But today I want to be very specific, and I want to talk to specific people today. And it might just be one person. I thought about this and it just might be one or two people. Um, but I really want to leave the 99 this morning to reach the one. I really do. And, um, but if you don't fit this category, I don't want you to check out because a lot of times when people preach a specific message to specific people, sometimes if it doesn't relate to you, it still speaks to you because it's the word of God. And the Bible says it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that when it's spoken, when it's put out there, it has to do something. There has to be action. So you could be here and it might not even relate to you, but it might just bless your socks off. Amen? I want to leave here challenged. I want to leave here charged by the word. Amen? So today I want to speak, I do want to speak to uh, some spiritual sick people. The spiritually sick, okay? I want to speak to those that maybe have dead dreams slash goals. I want to speak to those people that if you're really honest, just real transparent, you say, man, right now my life is really stale. Now, all of these three categories can be people that are saved, that know Jesus. Hey, how many of you know that? All right, I, listen, I've been spiritually sick. My life's been stale at times, but I still love Jesus and I still... Uh, just said that he was my Lord and Savior, but I also want to speak to the unsaved today. Maybe there's someone in here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But I want to go back to this word, stale. I looked up a definition of stale, and I really liked it, so I wrote it down. It says, no longer able to perform creatively because of having done something for too long. Lost interest. You know, church family, we live in a, in a culture that it's real easy to get bogged down with negative things. It's real easy to kind of get in a pattern of life. Whatever you're doing, father, mother, son, boss, whatever you are, whatever you're doing, it's real easy to get in a rut and just stay there. And for things to just get stale, your job can get stale, your, your home life can get stale. Uh, it, sometimes even parenting, if you allow it, can just get stale. And even your Christian walk can just plant, plumb, just get stale. And I think we've all been there. We can all relate to that. But I want to talk specifically to the ones that maybe are dealing with it right now and, and tell you that today can be a day that you walk out of here, that your life, the trajectory of your, your path can literally change. As preachers, we want that. Every time we come up here and we communicate with the church family, we don't want to just check it off the list as another sermon that we've preached. We literally, I say it all the time. I say, leave this place better than the way you came in. Because if we don't challenge ourselves to do that, why are we here? You know, when, when the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering, do not, do not forsake coming together, the, the writer wasn't speaking of just coming together just to come together. He was speaking of coming together to sharpen each other, to leave the place of dwelling better than the way you came in. 
Amen? And I want to do that every time. So I want these people to leave here saying, man, I'm so glad that I pushed myself this morning and I got up because I, I feel challenged by the Lord. I feel challenged by his word. And, and, and from that, we're going to look at the death of Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse 1. Man, you're talking about a, a resurrection, speaking of Easter, of defeating death. What a great story. Look, pick it up at verse 1. And I'm, we're just going to work through it. And I'm just going to touch on some, some uh, key thoughts off of each verse. But we're going to go through the whole uh, chapter, chapter or verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Bethany on the side of the Mount of Olives, close to Jerusalem. Um, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, uh, dear friends of Jesus. Uh, Jesus actually stayed at their house on occasion, and, and Jesus loved them. It was close people to Jesus. Verse 2, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. We remember that story. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The first step in healing, the first step in becoming not spiritually sick anymore is to remind yourself that Jesus loves you, yes. that he is just straight up love. That's right. Amen? That's what the Bible said right there, that, that he loved, the one you loved is sick. Lazarus, the one you loved is sick. He cares about the sick. He cares about the hurting. Not only the physically sick, but he cares about the spiritually sick. Yes. Sometimes, church family, the spiritually sick can be in worse shape than the, the, the physical sick. I've seen people that have been spiritually sick for a long, long time. Yes. And because of them being spiritually sick and them allowing that sickness just to continue to pile on, they became physically sick. It's something that we really need to address, and I want to address it today. But he loved us. We have to be reminded today that he loves us. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. I love that. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Amen. I love through it. Not because of it. God's not rejoicing because you're sick. God's not rejoicing because you have a, an illness. God's not rejoicing because your life is stale. But the Bible says so he can, get, so he can be glorified through the process. Yes. Through it. Are you catching that? Every situation, listen to this. Every situation that we go through should somehow bring glory to God. Every situation that we go through should somehow bring glory to God. We live in a fallen world. And as a church, we need to be reminded, Jeff, of that, that, that we live in a sinful place. We're all sinners saved by grace in need of a Savior. Amen? Amen. But we live in, and the Bible says in John chapter 16, that there will be trouble. Every day there'll be trouble. We live in a, in, a, in, a, in a sinful place, but we need to realize that everything that we go through, every sickness we go through, whether it be physical or spiritual or whatever it is, every, every situation where we're stale, we need to realize that God still gets the glory. Amen? Yes. Pastor talked about King David, and man, talking about some high times and some low times, but there was one thing that was in common, and both of them, he gave God praise. He gave God praise. Job, if there's anybody that has a right to be upset, it's Job. But through his situation of losing everything, he still gave God glory. His wife said, curse God and die. I said, I'll not. I'll give God glory and I'll give praise and honor to him and him alone. And we know the situation and what happened. He was blessed 
with double the farm and double the animals and double those things and, and seven more children. Notice he didn't, see, I'm getting off here, but this is good. Notice he didn't double his children. Why? Because his children were already doubled because they had a resurrected body. Amen? Amen? That's a good, yeah, we'll talk about that later. That's my next sermon. Verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Loved them all. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two days. See, Jesus wasn't close to Bethany. So he said, he basically said, I'm not going yet. I'm going to stay where I'm at for two days. Now, a lot of people look at that and go, hmm, why would he do that? These people need him. They need him now. His sisters, his brother, there's people weeping. They're mourning. He's dead. They need him. But Jesus said, I've heard that he's sick, but I'm staying where I'm at for two days. Catch this. Sometimes the process gives greater testimony than the outcome. No, I did not look that up on the computer. That was downloaded by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the process gives greater testimony than the outcome. Why did he wait two days, Jeff? Because he wanted to see the reaction of the people. Because you know, I said it the other day, the opposite of sight is what? Faith. The opposite of faith is sight. They saw with their own eyes the situation. They had a kinfolk that was dead. He was in the tomb. He's, be, he's dead. But God wanted to see how he was going to react to that. Where was the faith going to come from? So he said, I'm just going to wait two days. I'm going to see how they react through the process. I'll never forget uh, the journey that we went through with my dad. He had cancer. And especially the last six, seven months, man, it was a process. It was a process. But I look back now, it's 40 years old, and man, I give God glory for everything God taught me through that process. Amen? Amen? Sometimes the process gives greater testimony than the outcome. You might be spiritually sick. You might, your life might be stale right now. But man, if you will just come out of that tomb and begin to walk in the direction that he wants you to walk, that process will build you up. And you won't just be focusing on the, the end outcome, but you'll be focusing on the process and seeing God's grace and his blessing be poured out on you each and every day. Man, I, I, you know, we're about to start this debt journey with the teenagers, this money thing. You're like, oh, why are we talking about money? Did you know almost half of the parables that Jesus spoke of was about stewardship and money? Money was a big deal. Debt was a big deal. The Bible says do not be in debt. It's, it talks about not being slave to the lender. And, and, and how many of you know that when you go after debt or you go through that process, it's a process. It's a process. And you can't look necessarily and focus on the outcome of being debt free, but you got to work on the process. Amen, Dave Ramsey, right there. High five. It's a process. It's a process. Verse 7. Then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. But rabbi, what does rabbi mean? Teacher. Sometimes we forget Jesus, teacher. What does he do? He teaches. Man, why do I have to go through this mess? Why do I have to go through this situation? He's a teacher. He's going to teach you something. We always have to be a student. It's easy to be a student when you got all A's. It's easy to be a student when you're the star athlete and everything's going great. It's a whole other thing to be a good student when you're not making that good of grades. Are you catching that, adults? When life's not going the way you exactly want it. When your adult report card doesn't have all A's, it's difficult sometimes to be a student. But God wants us to be a student. Why? Because he's a teacher. So in verse 8, he says, but rabbi, teacher, the disciples said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? You're going to go back there? Always looking at the fleshly circumstances. Amen? 
You know, sometimes we're, we're like that. And I wrote down, don't be scared to revisit the place of failure. Don't be scared. I'm going to write all that. Don't be scared to revisit the place of failure. Did you catch that? Some of these people here, you're the goal people, the dreams. I don't even like to say dreams anymore because I think sometimes dreams seem far-fetched. But goals is something we can all relate to. Like, I'm going to set a goal today to take a large nap. <laughs> and I'm going to tranquilize all five of the children. That's a goal, and I'm going to get there. Okay, it's not a dream. I'm going to be dreaming, but I'm going to set a goal to take a nap. Okay? That's true, though. Catch that. Sometimes the word dreams just seems too big. But if you'll set goals... Amen. If you will have goals to strive for, but sometimes to, to reach those goals, sometimes you got to revisit that place of failure. Right. Jesus was almost stoned there. He's almost killed there. And he says, I'm going to go back. Why? Because there's something good I can draw out of that situation. There's a resurrection that needs to be taken, taken place. And there's a resurrection in some of y'all's lives that need to take place. Some of those goals need to be stirred up again. And that's a broad statement. Some of you might have goals in the church. Some of you might have goals as parents. Goal, just whatever it is, as long as it glorifies God. We talked about that a while ago. But stir those goals up. Awaken those goals. Because we got one shot at this thing, right? We got one shot. That's why, that, you know, I said the Riggs family is going big or going home right now. And it might not look like that in 10 years. You know, I might be on a farm with Pastor as a ranch hand, okay? <laughs> But right now, man, it's full-blown, just radical evangelism, orphans, just everything. And we love it. Why? Because there's, we got one shot at this, you guys. And I want to set as many goals as I can go after. And I want to reach them. And sometimes I have to revisit the places that I have failed. Some of the greatest failures in ministry in the last 13 years, and I could think of one specifically on my behalf where I failed was my greatest teacher. It was my greatest teacher. And sometimes I revisit it in my mind. And I go, oh, God, thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading me and guiding me in the right direction and helping me to make the right decisions through that. Amen? Amen. Verse 9. Jesus answered when they said, are you going to go back there, really? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Did you get that? He has no light. Walk by, walk by daylight. Now, he's not saying don't go out at night. Or he's just referring to walk with him. Walk with him while you still got a chance. Walk with him while you still have the resources around you. Pastor talks about it all the time. This is such a great church family. And, and it, our greatest resources, you're sitting right next to the greatest resources. Of just the opportunity to encourage everybody and live while it's still daylight and do the work while it's still daylight. Amen? Do the work while Jesus is still doing his thing. Verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. I love that. He's asleep, you guys. He's just taking a nap. He knew the disciples couldn't handle, you know, he, he, he always wanted to try to teach in parables and kind of, kind of just kind of, you know, be real lighthearted and say, he's just asleep, guys, and we're going to go wake him up. Hold your finger there and go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. When you allow the Holy Spirit, when you allow Jesus Christ to awaken you from your 
spiritual sickness or your lack of drive or your lack of motivation, man, something happens. That's powerful. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 says, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, sometimes some of you guys need to wake up and say that out loud. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Turn to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Are you getting that? He wants to awaken something in you. He wants to awaken a goal in you that's been dormant for years. He wants to awaken you from a stale life, things that you've lost interest in, maybe even things that you've lost interest in in the church. Maybe you worked with the youth years ago or the kids, or, or maybe you worked in women's ministry or men's ministry years ago, or maybe you just had a heart for evangelism or missionaries. He wants to awaken that. The Bible says to agitate the gifts. Right. You got to agitate the gifts, all right? I know how to agitate my children, Okay, I watched from one of the greatest agitators ever to their children. He was, man, he was smooth. I learned. But I like to agitate them. But I know how to agitate them. I know I have to do that to get them riled up. We should be that way spiritually. How do we agitate the anointing? You get in a room and you close the door, as Matthew chapter 6 says, and you pray to the Father. And what the Father sees in secret, he rewards you openly. You get in the Word. You close Facebook. You you shut down TV. You shut down the Internet. You close out everybody, and you get in that room. You say, is it that easy? Yes, it is that easy. You go to Israel, and they'll have, have, it's almost like display case of people inside these glass rooms writing the whole script, writing the Scriptures, writing the Pentateuch, writing the Old Testament. And it's an example of, Getting alone with God. That's how you agitate the anointing. It's not more lights. It's not more lasers. It's not pastor up here reading a five-point poem. It's not him coming up here and giving one verse and then what he thinks. It's about the word of God and getting alone to Jesus Christ. Amen? you got to agitate the anointing. When you agitate the anointing, that grave will begin to shake. Something will begin to move in that grave. It won't be death. It'll be life. Amen? He wants us to wake up. Yes. Verse 12. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Let him sleep. See where their minds were? Verse 13. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. See, disciples, us, people, we're, we're always in the natural. Oh, Jesus. We're always in the natural. When it comes to our marriage, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to our job, it's so easy. To, and it's so easy for me to go to the natural. When God wants us to live in the, there's a reason it's called super. Come on, somebody. There's a reason it's called supernatural. All right? The, the creators of Superman just, just didn't say, you know what? Let's just create somebody called the man. He's going to fly and he's going to be made of steel. This could be awesome, Reagan. He said, no, I'm going to call him Superman, Des. You know why it's Superman? Because that super takes it away from the natural. God wants you to wake up and have goals. 
supernaturally. He wants your life to not be stale supernaturally. Live that kind of life. Be able to take somebody out of the grave and raise them up and teach them and disciple them in Jesus' name. He wants you to do that. Not just me. Not just pastor. He wants us all to live a supernatural life. Somebody needs to hear that today. Get out of the natural and move into the supernatural. And your life will not be stale anymore. It won't be stagnant. Verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Believe. What a key word. Believe. Some of you need to believe again. Not in yourself. Oh, I've been on this thing with the kids and it's been effective. Ask some of my leaders. I've been telling them you're not good. You're not good. Quit saying you're good. Quit saying your mama's good or your daddy's good or your teacher's good. Nobody's good. If we were good, we we wouldn't need a savior, Randy. What's good is what dwells in us. What's good is the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Amen? Amen? Jesus was just continuously teaching that you may believe, but let us go to him. Verse 16. Then Thomas, the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. (laughs) Oh, Thomas. (laughs) Hey, Thomas, what do you think about the situation? Y'all remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? There it is. Thomas is Eeyore of the Bible. Y'all didn't know you could relate Winnie the Pooh with the Bible, but I just did. Thomas, what's your opinion? I guess we can go with him and just die. You guys know those kind of people. Some of y'all are some of those people. Um, Just kidding. Not really. No, seriously. We all have those relatives for sure. So you go to the family reunion and it's like, wow. Hey, Aunt Wanda, how are you? Well, I got a bunion on my third toe and... I got this going on and that, and like eight hours later, she's still going on. Thomas said, let's just go and die. Thomas was living in the natural and not the supernatural. Amen? Amen? Verse 17. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Whew. These people, listen to me. Listen, because time's a big deal when we're talking about this. Don't be the person that says it's been too long. Don't be that person. Well, it's been too long since I had any of these. It's been too long since my life felt like it was Listen, I'm preaching to certain people that I know of that I've sat down with in the last two weeks. You're here. I'm talking to you. It hasn't been too long. He was in the grave for four days. Let's draw the comparison to somebody that's died that that is in the grave for four days. You can equate that to somebody that's living, but your goals have been dead for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. We need you. Let me speak from the church perspective. We need you. I need you. I've sold out my life to combat this culture 
that's killing this generation of students. I need your help. I'm trying to teach these teenagers about the Holy Ghost and about being debt-free and about love. I'm trying to teach. I need your help. And there's some of you in here, there's a lot of you in here that used to have some of these. And you just need to agitate those gifts that God has given you and stir up the good gift that's within you. And quit saying it's been too long. Grandma, it hasn't been too long. One of the greatest helpers I ever had in 13 years of ministry was Phil's grandma. She used to sit back in the back, and we were loud back there. We would do stupid things back there. I ran a gas-powered lawnmower one time back there and didn't even think about it being gas-powered. And all the kids, I thought, were having revival, and they were all asphyxiated. <laughs> I ain't, I'm not kidding. After it, Brent said, dude, did you know there was a leaf blower in the closet, the battery-charged one? I was like, I didn't even think about it. I just thought we had revival. It was Grandma Shell. But she would sit back there and she would listen to the music. I mean, just screaming and yelling. And then she'd be in the altars. Come on, somebody. It hadn't been too long. It hadn't been too long. Stir up the good gift that's within you. Stir it up. Quit being happy or quit just settling for being spiritually sick and no goals and your life is stale. Man, life is too fun for you to sit around and say it's been too long. Verse 18. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Martha wasn't being like ugly. I don't like you, Jesus. Because in verse 22, it says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. But she still said it in verse 21. If you would have been here, there would have been a different outcome. Martha begins to play the blame game with God. Boy, that is something we can't do. That is something we cannot do. Go back to Genesis. He's the creator of the world. If there was no creator, there would be no you. So we cannot play the blame game. I can't blame him for my father dying when I was 19. I can't blame him for that. We live in a broken, fallen, sick world. We need to remind ourselves of that. That's why we need a savior, but we can't play the blame game. Amen? Some of you need to hear that because we get so sucked into this cultural thinking of it's everybody else's fault or, and then we go from there to it's God's fault. It's not God's fault. He's a God of love. He created you and he created you for a reason. He yeah. formed you in your mother's womb. Yeah. So don't blame God. That's right. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, and even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. And is asking for you specifically. Watch Mary's reaction. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. 
No, she was going to lay at the feet of Jesus. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mm. Mary begins to play the blame game. Lord, I still love you. I'm still saved. I still go to church, but I blame you for what's happened. You can't blame God for the situation that you're in. You have to be intentional. I love that word. You control the next move. You really do. These folks need to hear that again. If it's one of you, I'm going after you this morning. You need to hear that. You got to be intentional. You got to be intentional. Verse, where am I at? 28, verse 28. Somebody said 41 because you want me to hurry. Verse 28. (laughs) You're at the end. Verse 28. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly, and then she went. Jesus entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary noticed him comforting her, noticed how quickly she was, we read that. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place, she fell at her feet, and she said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and angry. Verse 34, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus cares. He cares, people. He cares. Jesus doesn't just stand up there and, 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 and live inside of you and just say, you know what, I'm going to care one day. I'm not. He cares for you. It, he weeps when he sees you go through trouble. He weeps when he sees you lay dormant in a situation where you don't have any goals. He weeps when you're spiritually sick. Right. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Pastor referenced this a couple weeks ago. I believe it was Pastor. Man, if you can visually think through the Bible. This is a powerful moment in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Man, when I realized that my Lord and Savior cares that much about every situation in my life, that takes my relationship with him to a new level. What happens when somebody, when somebody goes over the top to show you that they care, man? It, it, it just elevates them in your, in your list of friends and family. It just takes it to a new level. Jesus is, is no different other than he's the Savior of the world, that he's Lord and Savior, but he cares. The Bible said he wept. He wept. And listen to me. If you fall in this category, he's weeping today. Not because he sees no hope but because he sees so much potential because he created you. So he knows how much potential is there. Amen. And it hurts him to see your life just going through the motions where you've just lost interest in ministry or you've lost interest in, in whatever you're into. You're just, just complacent and stale in your relationship with God. You haven't opened the scriptures in months. You haven't prayed in months. That breaks his heart because he's a loving God. and He's a caring God. Verse 37. But some of them said, and there's always going to be doubters. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Because he had done some pretty powerful things up to this point. 
And my response to that is yes, but where would the testimony be? The blood of the lamb and the word of... Isn't that what it says? Where would the testimony be? Where would the testimony be? I can't explain to you. I just can't. I've been in those situations where it was a horrible loss or uh, maybe a child or maybe somebody that was way too young. I can't explain that to you, but I'm still going to give God the glory and there's still going to be a great testimony come out of the situation. I bring this up a lot because it really marked my life. It was the first funeral I ever did. And it was for our buddy Nick, who was part of the Shot family. And he was 24 when he died. And right before the funeral, Jen told me his mom, she said, she said, I want you to preach Jesus. She said, this is literally a room full of unsaved people. Go get them. So we went and got them. This 20-something-year-old girl came up to me, and she said, I'm a Buddhist. She said, I felt something in that funeral. And I began to share Jesus Christ with her right after the funeral. I can't explain to you why that works out that way. But there's a testimony in every hurt. There's a testimony in every pain. I lost a stepbrother to AIDS. There's a testimony there. I lost a dad to cancer. There's a testimony there. There's a testimony in every ounce of your hurt. There's a testimony in every ounce of your pain. Spiritually sick people, you have a testimony. Remember, the process is just as important as the outcome. And don't forget, he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. We're the students. We learn. So let's stop taking the time, all that time to say why, and start saying, God, teach me. Teach me in this moment. It still hurts. It's still painful. But teach me in this moment because I want to be a student. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Sound familiar? Jesus said, take away the stone, he said. Don't you love that Jesus didn't have somebody else to do it for him? But he's a personal God. He said, go ahead, take away the stone. Said it himself. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. He said, take away the stone. And that person is concerned about the stink over what's about to take place. You know, I don't like to give any place to the devil. But he does such a good job at taking small little things like a bad odor to get your focus off the resurrection that's about to take place. He just said it. He said, take away the stone. But she said, hang on, Martha said. But after four days, it's got to stink. He's been in there four days. It's got to smell. These people, you have to address the stink in your life, whatever that is. You have to address it. You have to get past it because there's a resurrection that's about to take place in your life. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. I love the detail there. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. See, that's just the first step. Because when he came out, there was still an issue. His hands and his feet were still wrapped in the strips of linen and the cloth around his face. Because you remember last week when Jesus came out, what did he do? He, he folded everything nice and neatly, which represented that I ain't coming back again. Catch that. Jesus didn't blow open the grave, and he, was, he took all the garments, and he folded them nice and neatly and put them back just to let everybody know I ain't coming back again. So Jesus said, hang on, Lazarus. We're not done yet. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Shane, I want you and the worship team to come up. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, some of you, have maybe you've, you've taken the right step, but you're still wearing those old grave clothes. You're still kind of held in a little bit of bondage. You're still kind of held in a little bit of captivity. Jesus says, take it off. Never to be picked up again. Never to be picked up again. Here in a second, I want us to go back to that first song. It's 12 o'clock, right on time. Verse 45. Because of this, because there was a resurrection, because there was a resurrection, because he came out and took off the grave clothes. Something took place. See, that wasn't the only miracle that took place in that moment. And, and be careful when you read the scripture because it's so easy to read something and go, man, that was unbelievable where there's something that'll top it is right after that. Don't just stop at John 3, 16. Read 17. Well, there's something else that happened in verse 45. The Bible says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, see, they thought they were just going to a funeral. And they had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. So what happened? Salvation came out of what? Salvation came out of an awakening. See, I'm not, I'm not challenging this group of people just for yourself. I'm challenging this group of people because I know the power of this testimony and the chain reaction that will happen when spiritually sick people are not sick anymore. When people that your goals and dreams have been dead, you start picking them up again and you start having goals and you start reaching them. When you folks that maybe your life is still and you've lost interest start showing interest again. 
Not only does that impact you, it impacts everybody around you. Everybody around you. And we need that. Amen? Don't come here. We need that. Not only do we need an awakening to happen in you, but we need an awakening to happen in your family. We need an awakening to happen at your work. And for the love of God, we need an awakening at these public schools. The impact of one. There's a reason he said, I'll go get the one to leave the 99. I'll go get the one. Because I love the one, but because I know what the one will do for me to reach others. say it all the time and I'll say it every time I stand up here I believe we're the church that's to be the Holy Spirit voice for this community I believe that I believe that I see it I see what God's doing in foster care I see what God's doing with teenagers I see what God's doing with adults sometimes, man, it's a long journey, but sometimes it just takes just a little spark. A little spark. I sat with a 30-year-old man in my office the other day, and I just walked him down the road with Jesus, and he said, I, nobody's ever said it like that. And I didn't, I, I, I was very simple, Brother Larry. There was something behind that. There was a Holy Spirit awakening behind that. <laughs> Some of you are here today, and this was for you. This is for you. And there's goals to be met. There's goals to be met. There's a life to be lived by sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ every day of your life. There's life to be lived, John. So I want everybody to stand up. I want you to bow your heads because this was a specific message. And as the deliverer, I just, you know, maybe it's selfish. I just want to see who I'm talking to. And it might be one hand, and that's fine. Because I have no problem going to get the one. So with every eye closed in the house, you say, man, this message, this word was for me. That's all you're saying. This word was for me. I want you to lift your hand up. Let me see it. This word was for me.